0: in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 43. Uh, It's another chapter where we'll take a look at at the whole chapter, verses 1 through 34. And it's it's a continuation of things that have been happening. So I will spend a little time reviewing things. And and actually, as as we look at what's going on with uh, Jacob and his his sons, uh, we're kind of getting the same thing over and over, but we're seeing it, from a different perspective, if you will. And we'll notice that this morning. It's a lot, we're building off of, of where we were last week when God was uh, pricking the consciences of, of, the, his, of Jacob's sons and Jacob himself and, and leading them in a direction, pushing them, if you will, uh, that they would have a chance to face uh, some of the things that they have done This morning, it'll be a little different, Uh, it'll be somewhat the same, but in this one we're going to see God's transforming mercy uh, taking place, Uh, the transforming grace, if you will, but let's, uh, let's review just a little bit where we left off with Jacob and his family as they are a complete and utter mess right now. Um, God has really brought them to their knees. Uh, Joseph, who was sold many years ago as we get to this passage, he's now second in command in Egypt. Um, The brothers hated him. He was the father's favorite, and and they hated him and sold him into slavery. Uh, There were some good years there where Egypt built up a lot of food, and now we're into a famine, and it's very bad. In fact, it's Uh, severe in all the earth uh, scripture has told us and it has affected Jacob and his family in the land of Canaan and last in last chapter uh, Jacob asked his sons uh, as they're all sitting around hungry he asked why are you guys just sitting here looking at each other go get some food for us and so they went to Egypt to buy this food and, and unknowingly they Run into uh, Joseph and Baal before him. They didn't know Joseph, but Joseph knew, or he figured out who they were. He recognized them. He spoke a little roughly to them. He wants to figure out uh, what's going on with them. Is is his dad still alive? Is Benjamin still alive? Benjamin wasn't with them at the time, uh, and Joseph knows. Well, they tried to kill me. Did they kill Benjamin? Uh, but the, he's told, no, Benjamin is still alive and, and Jacob is still alive. Well, Joseph wants Benjamin in Egypt. Uh, and, and the brothers, as we went through uh, chapter 42, uh, were just having their consciences uh, just uh, pricked all the time. And they were bickering with each other and accusing each other. Uh, Jacob had accused all of his sons of murdering Uh, Joseph and accused them of selling Simeon into slavery because they didn't come back with Simeon but they came back with a whole bunch of money and so uh, he said well you sold Simeon uh, into slavery not in so many words but that's what he was hinting at and now uh, Simeon's been in jail uh, for quite a while because they're hungry again they've eaten all the food but for Jacob this is fine he would rather have Simeon sit in jail than send Benjamin to go get him out of jail. Uh, So what we see is just this dysfunctional family. Yet, as we mentioned last week, God is in control of everything. And he's been pushing them in order to save them. And as I mentioned, as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to see God's transforming grace in their lives. And so let's take a look at Genesis chapter 43. I will begin at verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him... We will not go down, for the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to those questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, "'Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, "'that we may live and not die, "'both we and you and also our little ones. "'I will be a pledge of his safety. "'From my hand you shall require him. "'If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, "'then let me bear the blame forever. "'If we had not delayed, we would have now returned twice.'" Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house And slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in. So that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought or when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water and they had washed their feet and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had prepared and had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, And he said, "'Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son.' Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, "'Serve the food.' And they served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves.' because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn, according to his birthright, and the youngest, according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. The word of the Lord. There's an old saying that nobody really knows who said, uh, but you've probably heard, uh, youth is wasted on the young. You've probably heard that. Uh, George Bernard Shaw sometimes gets credit for it, or Oscar Wilde, or Irving Cobb. There's a few others that said things very similar to that. Uh, But youth is wasted on the young. And I remember uh, being a youth and hearing that and taking that as a backhanded slap. What do you mean? You're wasting youth on me. I'm, I'm worth youth. Uh, but it, it wasn't meant as some, some kind of uh, uh, a slap in, in the face. It wasn't offensive. It's not even, as I get older, it's not even a regretful statement like, oh, I wish I was 18 again, like, like the song says. It's, it's not even really regret, but it's just this acknowledgement that as we grow, we learn. And, and we change. And that's actually one of the joys of life, is that we get to grow and learn. And, and sometimes we do have those thoughts and think, you know, if I did know then what I know now, uh, I could have made things a little easier on myself. Although I did have a lot of fun, I could have made things a little easier on myself. And, and, and we, we get to grow through that, though. We get to watch God working in our lives. Paul uses the word transformed, and that's a good biblical word. He uses it in Romans and in 2 Corinthians. We're transformed by God as as we grow. And as we look in this passage, we see this family, we've been going at it a, a few weeks now, they are being transformed very grudgingly, by the way, but they are being transformed, and we can see uh, some of the fruits of this transformation coming to light now. And we see it early on in this chapter with Jacob. As, as uh, In these first couple of verses, we see that the, the famine is still going on. It's still very severe. They're a couple years into it now. And the food that they had gotten from Egypt is all gone. They've eaten through that, and they need more. And so uh, Jacob tells his sons, go and get us some more, in verse 2. And notice this, how he says, go get us some more food. Because in chapter 42, in verse 1, that's when he was very accusatory and even belittling. Why are you guys just sitting around looking at each other? Go get some food. I mean, it was, it was authoritative, but it was, it was a, little, um, a little dismissive and belittling. But now he's not that way. And the reason he's not that way is because he knows he's the reason they haven't gone to get more food. He knows he's the one that's not letting Benjamin go to Egypt. He understands his role in this. Now he's still a little selfish. We'll notice that as the chapter goes on in verse 6. Uh, He asks, why did you treat me so badly? As though this whole thing falls on him. Or in verse 14, when he mentions, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. There's still a, a little hint of selfishness in there. But he does know his role in what's going on. And he is a little contrite, if I can use that word. And a little more polite as he speaks to his sons. But no matter how he puts it, the answer is still the same in verses five, or 3 through 5. Unless Benjamin comes with us, we're not going to go, because it's pointless. And Judah brings this up. And, and some may ask, if you look closely at the story, well, why is Judah speaking? Judah's actually the fourth oldest son. Reuben should be the one, he's the eldest. Reuben should be the one who's speaking, but Reuben's on pretty... Uh, thin ice right now. He had committed a horrible sin against uh, Jacob and, and his concubine, uh, and that was to usurp authority. And then last week, in, in the last chapter we saw, uh, when, when uh, Jacob kind of came after the sons, it was Reuben who got angry and said, i tell you what, give me Benjamin, and if I don't come back, you can kill my sons. Kill my two sons. So he's, he kind of flew off the handle a little bit. He's on thin ice anyhow, and so he's not in good standing. He doesn't have much room to speak here. Uh, The second eldest son is Simeon. He's in jail in Egypt. The third eldest son, well, that's Levi, and he had caused Jacob and the whole family a lot of shame uh, and embarrassment as he was one of the ringleaders in, in genocide, basically killing off an entire city uh, and, and that was completely wrong, and they had to move, and, and so he's not, on, he's not in good standing either. So what we have now is, is Judah. Now, Judah had committed his own sin, but his sin was pretty much an embarrassment to himself. It wasn't an embarrassment to Jacob so much. It was himself, and he understands that. But now, uh, now he steps up. He knows he's the one who can speak to Jacob, and so he steps up and he tells him, look, Benjamin has to come with us. And he mentions this twice uh, in verses 3 and and 5 to emphasize the point. The guy said, if we don't bring him, we're not going to see his face. It's pointless. We have to have Benjamin if we're going to go. And then notice the growth of the brothers In verses 6 and 7, when Jacob comes at Judah, and your translation may say Israel, but Jacob and Israel, that's the same guy. His name got changed, but he is called Jacob quite a bit. But when Israel or Jacob comes at Judah, the brothers back him up. Notice that the plural. They replied, and there's no accusations being made in there at all. They just simply say, what happened? Here's what happened. You know, he asked us, and we were telling him about you and and this other brother, and how are we to know? And they're, they're kind of in this together, and they're not throwing anybody under the bus. We see an improvement with the brothers here. And then we see Judah improving on Reuben's rash vow in verses 8 through 10, where Reuben had said, if I don't come back with Benjamin... You can kill my two sons. That's in uh, chapter 42, uh, verse 37. Well, Judah improves on that. Judah said, if I don't come back with Benjamin, it's it's my life on the line. I'll I'll lay my life on the line for this. And then notice what he says in verse 8. This is for the good of of we, us, the brothers, and, and you, and also our little ones. All of a sudden, they're starting to think of others. It's not just this selfish greediness that we've been seeing out of the brothers, but all of a sudden now, he's thinking of someone else. He said, look, we've got more lives on the line here. It's us, and it's you, and look at our children and spouses. We've got all of these people. I'll, I'll put my life on the line here so we can take care of this. Now Judah, uh, these words are going to come back next week and we're going to spend a lot more time looking at Judah next week as we build off of what we uh, look at this week into next week. Because this comes back and Judah's going to have to stand by these words. But, but we just noticed this, this difference in, in the boys. And it, you know, to take it in somewhat of a light lighthearted uh, uh, scheme here, you know, we, we see Reuben. If I don't come back with Benjamin, you can kill my two sons. And whenever I think of that, I I have this image in my head of that old playground taunt, you know. My dad can beat up your dad. You know, you get into a tussle. Well, my dad can beat up your dad. Well, who cares? I don't care if your dad can beat up my dad. I'm after you. It's you that I want. Uh, Incidentally, I remember my Dad jokingly saying when I was a child, he said that his feet had never let his face get hurt. <laughs> so, whenever I heard that taunt, my dad could beat up your dad, I always thought, yeah, your dad would have to catch my dad. <laughs> Which isn't really ferocious sounding, but it worked at the time. But the idea is who cares? Who cares if you beat up someone else? It's you. It's you. You're the one that I have the issue with. And that's what these guys are starting to realize. I'm not going to lay my son's life on the line. I have to take responsibility myself. And, and these sons are starting to, to realize this. And their selfishness and their sinfulness, and their uh, accusing others and their, their bickering, it's all pointless. They have to, if you want to use the phrase, man up, they have to man up and start taking responsibility here. Other lives are at stake and they have to change. Their actions have to change and their attitudes have to change and we see that happening now. We see as God is gracefully transforming these men uh, to act in a godly way and even Jacob As stubborn as Jacob sometimes comes off, even Jacob here we see in verses 11 through 14, he says, okay, here's what I want you to do then. And he he mentions these gifts, take them these gifts, and and there's a little bit of irony in the balm and the gum and the myrrh, because those are the things that the Ishmaelite traders uh, were carrying when they sold Joseph to them in slavery. And so there was probably another little prick in the conscience. Oh, this is what, uh, what those Ishmaelites took with them to Egypt when we sold Joseph. And now we're going to bring these same things to Egypt, and we have Benjamin. There's probably this, this sense of irony in, in their head of what they're doing and, and there's this prayer of sorts, we see, that Jacob gives. In verse 14, as he cries out to God for mercy, you know, may God Almighty, uh, the Hebrew El Shaddai, God Almighty, may he grant you mercy in this. And, and as he's saying these things to bring, take these gifts and take double the money. The last thing he mentions in verse 13 to take is your brother. Take the gifts. Take the money. And yeah, take your brother. He doesn't even say the name. As you picture it in your head, you almost just see the pain on his face. As he has to admit, he's got to go. He's going to have to go. And it's the last thing he mentions. It's painful, but it's necessary. Take him and go to Egypt. And so they go to Egypt. The return we see in starts in verse uh, 16. They have Benjamin when they get there, and Joseph notices in verse 16, notices right away. The brothers are still a little uneasy, um, especially when they're brought to Joseph's house. You notice that in, in verse 17, they're they're escorted to Joseph's house and they're thinking, oh, it's the money. In verse 18, they have that thought, it's, it's the money. To anyone who's ever gone to the principal's office, you know kind of their feeling here. Okay, twice I've got sent to the principal's office. <laughs> Once was in first grade, if you can believe it. First grade, I got sent to the principal. That was a misunderstanding. The principal kind of laughed at me. What was, why are you sent here? You know, I, I just had a cranky first grade teacher. But the second time I got sent to the principal's office, I knew what it was. As soon as the secretary came on and asked if I was in class, I started packing my books because I knew where I was going. And that's what these boys are experiencing. We know what it is. It's the money, isn't it? They have this dread, and their fear is that, well, here's what he's going to do. He's going to take us as servants or slaves, and he's going to take everything we own. And so they try to explain what happened in verses 19 through 22. And as they explain what happened, uh, notice uh, how they explain it. They're very truthful about what they say. They're very tactful in the way they say it. And there's unity among them. And This is great for these guys. The, the, the men of old would have said, well, here's what happened. That guy right there opened his sack and there was money and he should have brought that back right away. Well, okay, but go after him. They would have been accusing someone else, but here they're, they're all in this together. They're going to stand or fall together in this one, and they're truthful and tactful in explaining what happened. And the steward said, "Well, I got your money. That was God or the God of your fathers. I, I, I have your money now." It should be noted that the steward probably knows uh, why the money is there, because. Joseph had ordered them to put the money back in and the steward most likely, almost positively, was uh, part of that uh, transaction. So he knows. So then the question is, why is he mentioning God in this? And you can speculate a little bit. Did Joseph tell him, mention God, Say, say this is from God? Or was it that he had heard when Joseph, uh, back in chapter 42, told the brothers, I fear God, and maybe the brothers had a certain reaction. He said, you know what, this, I'm going to say the same thing, that, that this was God, because they obviously have some respect for God. But for whatever the reason is, the point is that God is in control. We have this, another reference to God showing us yes. God is controlling everything that is happening here. And the steward puts them at ease. He said, don't worry about the money, I have that. Here's Simeon, here's water, we'll feed your donkeys. He does everything to put them at ease. And then it's time for the noon meal in verses 26 through 34 and Joseph comes in and he greets them warmly in verse 27 and he acknowledges Benjamin. And there's this relational wording in how it gets mentioned that here's his mother's son. And Joseph, I'm sure, and Benjamin spent a lot of time together growing up. They they were the two full brothers. Same mother, same father, and and the only two. And, And they were the youngest of them. And you can just imagine that... They spent a lot of time together. And now after all these years, a couple of decades, he sees him again. There's there's my brother. And it leaves him to weep in verse uh, 30. He has to get up and, and walk out. And yet he doesn't reveal himself. He goes and, and he weeps and then he comes back in and let's serve the food and, and the brothers are amazed because he has them sit according to age. And I'm sure they're thinking, what, what is going on with this? But he, he, they, he, they're sitting by age and, and the youngest, Benjamin, is shown this preferential treatment. Now, they're all eating Joseph's food. Notice that they're all being served uh, from the fine food, but Benjamin is getting five times as much as any of the other brothers. And you're thinking, now, is Joseph testing them again? Is he looking to see what response they're going to have when the youngest gets the preferential treatment? Because back when Joseph was getting the good treatment, they wanted to kill him. But this time, he loads up Benjamin, and everything is fine. Now, admittedly, there's probably a fair amount of alcohol involved here. Um, the Greek, or I should say the Hebrew, at the end of, of the chapter here, they drank and were merry with him. That indicates that there was some alcohol involved. But, but either way, we notice what's happening they're good with this. They're good with this. And we're, we witness this, this transformation. They're not the, these selfish men, jealous because he has something they don't. They're not argumentative. They're not me first. But rather, God has transformed them, and now they're, they're selfless, if you will, thinking of others. Hey, we've got to take care of business because there's other people involved here. They're grateful for what they have. They're unified. They're, they're experiencing uh, the grace of God and its transforming effect. They're not stuck. They're not stuck in their selfishness anymore. They're not stuck in their jealousy. They're growing. They, they see the grace of God. They see the grace of, of Joseph, actually, and, and through that, the grace of God, and it's transforming who they are. You know, Paul, I mentioned, he uses that word transformed, and he uses it in a couple of great ways. And In Romans chapter 12, he says, do not be conformed to this world, which, by the way, is a jealous and, and selfish world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And these guys are being transformed into good and acceptable. Uh, In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul is writing about uh, the veil that was on on, uh, Moses' face because his face was shining and, and he relates that to us and And how that when we turn to Christ, the the veil is removed. And then he writes, and we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We see the transforming grace of God. Last week when we looked at the same basic story, it was God bringing them to repentance, making them face what they had done, showing them how they had to change, and now we see how God has changed them with his grace. And notice something in here. When we look at this story, you know, all of these stories are really about God. And we see that here. It's it's the imperfect that shows us the perfect. And we have a great example of that right here. This, This imperfect, if we stand back and look at it just a little bit, here's what we see. We see these brothers who have sinned horribly against Joseph. We can't ignore their sin. They wanted to kill him, but they eventually sold him into slavery thinking he would be killed. They have sinned horribly against Joseph. Now they come to Joseph and bow down and they're accepted by him because of who they brought with. Notice that in verse 16. It's when Joseph saw Benjamin that he said, okay, let's make the meal. We're going to eat together. It's because of who they have, they were accepted, and the chapter ends with this feast. And we see the story of the gospel playing out here. We're seeing a group of people, us, who have sinned horribly against God, but God accepting us because of who we bring with us. We don't have Benjamin. We have Christ. We have Christ who died on a cross for our sins, and we're accepted through Christ. And Christ would often talk about heaven as a marriage feast, In fact, in in Romans uh, 19, the angel tells uh, John, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It ends with a feast and we are all eating from the same table. And we are all enjoying each other, living in perfect harmony and unity. It's a chapter that helps us see God's transforming grace in our lives. How he's taken us from sinners to people pursuing righteousness. Like Jacob, we'll sometimes get it wrong. We can sometimes get a little selfish if things don't go our way. But in the end, God Transforms us and continues to do so. And He does it by showing us this great grace in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for not leaving us stuck in our sin, for not leaving us as sinful, selfish, jealous, arrogant people but for working in our lives, showing us your grace and your mercy and your righteousness and your justice and putting your spirit in our hearts that we pursue those things, the things that are godly and right in your eyes. And Heavenly Father, we ask that you just continue to lead us in your way. Help us to put the worldly ways behind us as we pursue your truth and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the feast that we know awaits us, all those who trust in Christ, who are presented before your throne in Christ and will be accepted. We love you and we thank you. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, if you will turn to hymn 511, we'll stand and sing, Now I belong to Jesus.